All right, welcome to another episode <clears throat> of ICU Doc Talk. Um, I'm going to do a mini episode. I think I'll start doing these like 10 or 15 minute, uh, mostly just to, because sometimes I just don't record episodes because I'm like, I don't really have a topic, I, whatever. But if I just do the, I think if I do a little mini episode, it'll encourage me to do it more. And uh, my intent is to just review content that I've put up lately, you know, like videos, and just like, not review them, like talk, expound on the concepts in the videos that I've made, like in all past week or two. Um, I think that's what I'll use this little mini episode space to, to do. Um, and whatever any ideas anybody else has. So <clears throat> I think uh, to that, I think one, one of the first things I want to talk about is uh, the Roman Empire <laughs> viral thing. Where how about, about men, um, you know, how often do men think about the Roman empire? So for those that aren't familiar, this viral trend that went out like the last two weeks is it's usually women like asking their husbands or, or partners being like, how often do you think about the Roman empire? And, and the men always say they like have this like glassy look on their face and they're like probably every day or a few times a week. <clears throat> and then, you know, they're, they're, their partner is like blown away. Like, I cannot believe it's true. You know? So basically what's going on is, you know, it's good. This idea that's becoming, that's going viral is like, Oh, how often do men, do men really think about the Roman empire? And then they go and ask, someone's asking their husband. And then they report that they post that like, Oh, look, my husband says he thinks about it every day. And then that video goes viral. And then it's this positive feedback. People, more people go and post and then they post videos. And so over and over again. And then, so what's happening from that is it's leading to the impression that men think about the Roman empire at a really high amount. Okay. <clears throat> so that's the trend. Now I posted a video talking about how this is classic reporting bias. Um, that, and it's exactly what I was just describing. You're only hearing, you're only hearing reports about men who think about the Roman empire and there's no virus. There's no video that's gone viral of, a woman asking a man, how often do you think about the Roman empire? And they say, never, right. You haven't seen that video, but those videos were recorded. They just didn't go viral because they didn't perpetuate the viral meme. Right. <clears throat> so I posted a video explaining this and that's what's going on. It's reporting bias. Not all men think about the Roman empire this often. Like that, that's, that's stupid, or not stupid, but that's a, um, dubious claim. Anyway, I posted a, <laughs> a video saying I was reporting bias. The reason I re my motivation for reporting, for making the video, was to teach people about the phenomenon of reporting bias in an innocent thing. Like, this is innocent, right? Who cares? I mean, whatever. Well, it's also sexist, too. Why, are, why is nobody asking women how often they think about the Roman Empire? Like, I haven't seen a single video. Do, you, do what women think about the Roman Empire? Of course they do. Do all women think? Like, it's, it's just Anyway, like, of course there are women out there that are also thinking about the Roman Empire a lot, but nobody asked them. <laughs> anyway, um, so I, re I made this video talking about the, the re reporting bias to teach the, this principle about reporting bias. The, uh, so this is an innocent phenomenon, but reporting bias happens with more nefarious bad phenomenon like the vaccines, right? So you get like a perfect example of reporting bias <clears throat> is sudden cardiac death in athletes. So when it was discovered that the mRNA vaccines caused um, myocarditis in young men mostly. Um, 
you know, they just it, it was transient and non-fatal. Maybe there was like one or two fatal cases, I think, reported every, anywhere. So this was discovered, myocarditis, right? And then, so, and this is now going, this is, you know, whatever, this was two years ago, whatever. And this is filtering through the psyche of people. And then particularly for anti-vax people, like, oh, so that's true, right? That's the, that's the nugget of truth that there's a very, it's very low risk, but there's a low risk of young men getting transient, non-fatal myocarditis from the mRNA vaccines. So you have that, you know, in people's minds. And then, and then you have athletes dropping dead on the, you know, running, doing soccer, running, playing soccer. Oh, and they have sudden cardiac death and they die. <clears throat> well, sudden cardiac death has always occurred since before the vaccines, whatever. There are several causes of sudden cardiac death, whether that's hypertrophic cardiomyopathy or a channelopathy or a viral myocarditis can also cause sudden cardiac death. Um, but the, the thing is, sudden cardiac death of athletes has not increased from the base rate since before the vaccines. So there is no link that there's an increase in sudden cardiac death since the vaccines. But what's going on is now you have people reporting about it more, whether that's news agencies or people with a, a anti-vax uh, um, agenda. So then they report about it more. And so it leaves the reader with the impression of, of that there is more sudden cardiac death. And then they connect the dots in their mind that is the vaccine. And now they say it's killing people. That is a really terrible example, or it's a good example of a terrible effect of reporting bias. Anyway, that's the whole reason I made the video is because the Roman Empire thing is a is a is a great example of reporting bias, and <laughs> the responses I got. Um, so I usually don't respond to trolls. I mean, I do sometimes. You probably if you follow me, I I, I do comment here or there. Um, but uh, that vi the video I made got tons of views on. Um, Instagram, just a lot of insecure men, <laughs> lots of insecure men uh, that right, that really ruffled their feathers. That video I made about how it's just an example of reporting bias and how I don't ever think of, I rarely think of the Roman Empire. Right? Anyway, that was kind of alarming and kind of sad for all those men that were very threatened. <laughs> Jeez. Anyway, so there's that. Oh, and speaking of uh, the COVID vaccine, I just got, so the date today is September, I don't even know. Oh, what is it? Sorry, wow, why is it? It's September 24th. I got the vaccine. Me and my wife got the seasonal COVID vaccine um, like two, three, three days ago. And we had to schedule it at our local CVS by appointment. But we got it. It's out. It's available, I think, by appointment. Um, it's recommended, I think, for six months and up. So just FYI, got the vaccine, doing great. I had a little bit of a inflammatory reaction, and quite a, actually a big headache for like half the day, and kind of felt like crap, which is the worst I've ever felt from a vaccine. But I did fine. Anyway, just FYI, vaccines are ready to go. I recommend you get it. Okay, I made a video about someone asking <clears throat> if you have to give paralytics for every um, every time you have surgery. Um, which and the answer is no. Uh, um, obviously, no. If you know anything about anesthesia, if you're not, then you may not know. So we. We uh, we give someone a paralyzing medication to relax their body and their vocal cords to put in a breathing tube uh, when, we, when we intubate someone. Now, do they need paralysis? Do they need repeat dosing of paralysis through the operation? It completely depends. It, de it depends on um, what operation is happening. Sometimes the surgeon wants them completely paralyzed to relax their bodies so that they can have, so they can 
um, you know, work. So it's easy for them to, to do their work. Sometimes they don't need they don't need a paralysis all, at all. So we just leave the paralysis off, and we obviously we keep them, them anesthetized while they have a breathing tube, while they have surgery. But it's not necessary to have paralysis all the time. Now I have a very low threshold to reparalyze a patient um, because I want to make the working conditions as easy as possible for the the surgeon. So if they're like ah I need more paralysis, like totally give it, totally give it because it's good for the surgeon, it's good for the patient, it's good for expedited surgery, and not just expedited surgery. I don't. A fast surgery is not as important as a quality surgery. As, as a surgeon who's has good surgical exposure is able to work and get get you know do their job uh, you know appropriately. Okay, I made a video about telling a story about when I was in residency at a trauma hospital, <clears throat> and a, pa- a trauma patient came in. They probably had like a head injury or something. I don't remember. This was years ago, and they're intubated, and um, a neurosurgeon was doing a neurological exam on them because they it, it, they hadn't had a head scan yet right but they weren't moving anything they had no sedation on and um they weren't moving any cranial nerves or anything like that while we were doing a neurological exam so that was concerning and the question should always be asked hey what kind of paralytic was given to them when they were intubated because there's kind of there's there's short-acting paralytics and there's long-acting paralytics the short-acting paralytic is called succinylcholine the longer which at lasts about eight minutes the longer acting um, paralytic that is likely used in the field almost certainly is rocuronium and at the doses that they give it can last an hour or more so huge difference in the duration of action right so as we're doing this neurological exam the neurosurgeon surgical resident appropriately asked um is the patient still paralyzed and someone was like no we heard in report that the patient got succinylcholine and so that was concerning because this was like probably 40 minutes or something so the succinylcholine should have been metabolized and the patient still wasn't moving so that was a sign that oh maybe they have a serious brain injury maybe it's maybe it's something like brain death so that was concerning um someone got the idea i don't even remember but like it was like well you know it's possible they receive rocuronium maybe we should just reverse it with sugamidex which is a medication that binds up rocuronium the long-acting medication in the bloodstream and it binds it up it binds it up very quickly and it reverses it in seconds sometimes some 20 30 seconds it's reversed so I was like, well, let's just give it. So I had some in my pocket, some Sugamidex. So I gave it to the patient, IV. In about 10 seconds, the patient was like jumping off the bed. So the reason I made a video about this, there's some lessons to be learned here. So what that, so the patient obviously had received long-acting rocuronium and not the reported succinylcholine. So where did that breakdown in communication come? I have no idea. It doesn't mean the EMS gave a wrong report. There could have been something was misheard. The, these you know, transfers into the ED trauma bay <clears throat> are chaotic, um, despite our best efforts. Like we don't, we try, we don't want it to be chaotic, but it often can be relatively chaotic. <clears throat> so, you know, breakdown communications happen with handoff that can be extremely significant. Um, so that patient was paralyzed and maybe even aware, which is something that can happen in trauma. I, I, um, but anyway, and then another thing is just like be, have a healthy dose of, um, Skepticism. I, I think I made another video about that last week. Um, be skeptical, not cynical. Um, cynicism is bad. Cynicism, cynicism in medicine is never good. Um, it's skepticism is good. Skepticism is desirable. And you shouldn't be um, offended if someone is skeptical at you. Like, you know, if you're a physician or a med student or a nurse or an MP or whatever, and someone's skeptical, like asking questions. Um, you know, if they're doing it in good faith, which, you know, hopefully they are, they're doing it that's good that they're being skeptical 
you know, asking questions. Okay, well, why? And then and asking specific questions, you know, things like that. Skepticism and having a little baseline doubt is a very, is a very desirable thing as a clinician. Um, so being a little skeptical, being a little, hmm, I'm not sure about that. And then just pushing back a little bit. Don't be afraid to hurt people's feelings. And you can do these things kindly. Like you can be skeptical in a kind way. See, that's where cynicism is way, way, way different than skepticism. Cynicism is bad. It's malignant. It's got bad intentions. <clears throat> um, so anyway, so that was a good uh, lesson that I had learned from that, um, that, you know, to have a healthy dose of skepticism because it, and in this patient, it, they got a brisk neurological exam, which, uh, you know, changed our management at that time. Last thing I'll talk about is I made a video about how there's like this weird worship of um, corporations and people that make, like there's this like, it's in our like cultural American myth that, you know, corporations make jobs, you know, they, they create jobs, can't touch, you know, you can't hinder corporations. You got to keep the corporate tax rate as low as possible, <clears throat> et cetera, et cetera. And like, oh, you'll hurt jobs. And it's like, so I made a video, I don't know, this analogy that like worshiping corporations is like, you know, for creating jobs is like worshiping a beekeeper for creating honey, right? Um, like it's people that create <laughs> capital for corporations, not the, not the other way around. And this dovetails with another video I made talking about BIR, which is, a, which is how much overhead costs there are in healthcare for a private insurance company and for an insurance company. And for private insurance companies in the United States, it's about 17%. That's how much of the premiums that they bring in from customers, from patients, 17% goes to their overhead, their administration fees for private insurance. For Medicare and Medicaid, it's about 2 to 5%, significantly lower. Uh, which is a large sign that that there's like too much overhead and too much of a bureaucracy um, overhead in private insurance, which goes against the myth of you know government and bureaucracy. Which is there's this huge myth that bureaucracy is only re relegated to the government, which is ridiculous. Bureaucracy surrounds us in everything we do, right? It's entrenched in corporate America, and we have bureaucracy literally, literally everywhere we go. Anyway, that's just a little recap of some stuff I made this week. I think I'll let me know if you'd like this. I'll 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 do these little mini episodes to just it's super easy. It takes me just a few minutes, just and just it's very easy for me to upload, so it's not a big deal. Um, anyway, I will definitely have a real episode up next week for sure. I know I will. Um, so see you then.